It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jay-Z was at this time buying stuff from us. And one day Biggie came in the store. He was 15 years old and he was another one of our first customers. These concept stories are important because for any aspiring entrepreneur, I credit a lot of my journey to relationships. And I don't mean just texting. I think you have to be courageous enough to live in your discomfort zone, to invest into people, and to look at the long game. Welcome to Idea Generation's All Angles, a podcast about culture's most influential brands and the teams that built them. If you're an entrepreneur, creative, or anyone interested in harnessing the power of collaboration, join me, Noah Callahan Bever, each week as we dissect the most dynamic companies in culture. Because the only way to truly understand success is to look at it from all angles. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. In 1988, April Walker opened Fashion and Effect, a custom clothing boutique for the burgeoning hip-hop audience in New York City. In the years that followed, April would launch her own streetwear brand, Walker Wear, and become a pop culture phenomenon, working closely with A-listers like the Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, and Shaquille O'Neal. But just as Walker Wear started to ascend from hip-hop staple to mainstream recognition, April made the shocking decision to shut down the brand. On this week's episode of All Angles, we talked to founder April Walker, assistant Miles Hopkins, lead stylist and designer Gloria Sherubin, and head of marketing Kimia Range, to hear the full story of how Walker Wear became the hottest streetwear of the 90s and how the brand has reemerged today with a refreshed approach. But before any of that happened, years before Mike Tyson would hit the ring in Walker Wear shorts, or Tupac would fly her out to LA for an emergency video shoot, April Walker was just a young kid moving to Harlem with her parents. My childhood was very interesting. I had a different mix. My mom is Mexican and Navajo, and my father is Black, Cherokee, and probably Heinz 57. There's probably some other things we don't know about, but it gave me a unique lens. This is April Walker, founder of Walker Wear. My father, his family is from Culpeper, Virginia, and my father was is an avid music lover. 
and was part of the music industry. But growing up, he just had a love for jazz and music and all the things in music. My mom is from Colorado. She was very organized, very cerebral, and just really, really focused on creating a life for us in stability. My father was going to a university here in Colorado, and my mom was from Colorado. Then from there, we went to L.A. From L.A., we went to Harlem. We lived in Roxbury. We moved around because my father was chasing those music dreams. As a result, I got to see different backgrounds, different environments. And in your formative years, those are everything. So I think it really, you know, widened my scope, so to speak. And then I think in terms of traits, I took a little bit of both of them. Things you love and then the things you don't. But I think in my DNA, being as organized and as focused as possible is important. And at the same time, creating is just in my bones and just making and, and moving towards your dreams. Creativity and organization served as the two main pillars in the Walker household. But then April's father opened her eyes to another world, entrepreneurship. My father was always finding ways to connect us with the arts, whether it was dance lessons or music lessons or acting lessons, all these different things that we grew up participating in. And he always had these great cockamamie ideas that were like, oh my God, so embarrassing as a kid. But looking back in hindsight, I know he was just trying to spark that imagination and create possibilities in our minds. One year it was the bicentennial. It was huge. It was 1976, I believe, and it was 200 years they were celebrating. My father said, we're gonna make some shirts and go out and sell them for the bicentennial. And I'm like, how? He said, we're gonna create a design and then we're gonna make it. So we actually did that. We created a design that celebrated the bicentennial. And then he took me and dragged me to Pearl Paint, which was, it's legendary in New York for any artist. And it really just had everything in there that a creator would want. We picked out paints for the shirts. We picked out colors. We actually had a silk screen made with our design. And then we went home and we stayed up all night and we actually made those shirts. We bought the shirts. We actually had to use a squeegee and actually manufacture them by hand <laughs> and make all of these shirts. And then the next day we went to the Bicentennial and actually sold the shirts. And as a kid, it was very, jolting. It was very kind of embarrassing because, you know, you're doing something different. No one else is out there doing it. They're enjoying it and you're out there hustling, so to speak. But what it did was show us, show me, because we sold all the shirts. And I remember him like with a wad showing it to me like, you see this? This is what you just did. That always stuck with me. April went on to college, but the creativity instilled in her by her parents and the idea that she could make a living from her own creations would supersede anything that she could learn in the classroom. By the time I got to college, I knew I didn't want to work for someone else, but I didn't know what it would be. I was going to school for business and communications. At one time, I thought I might be a broadcaster. I wasn't sure. I was definitely interested in electronic media. So I was taking some courses there as well. But I was always innately into fashion. I never owned it. But looking back, there were clues. I won, you know, best dress. I saved all my tags and would put them on the wall and all of these things. I was different. I would try something different in fashion ever since I can remember. April's pull towards entrepreneurship naturally led her interest in college to wane. I was in my junior year in college and I basically told my dad that I don't want to go back to school. And he looked at me and he was taken aback and he said, why, you know? And I pointed to this girl that was on the phone booth. She was in a phone booth and she had on like some big earrings and bamboos and her jacket was all studded up and crystals and writing all over. It was really cool. I said, that's what I want to do. And he said to me not too long ago, he told me this story and he was like, I looked at that jacket and I was like, that's whack. But I didn't say it out loud. 
<laughs> he said, but I thought it, but I couldn't say it because who was I, you know, because he was a creator too. So he supported me on it. Having the support of her father was massive, but an encounter with a one-of-a-kind fashion icon would be the turning point for April. One night I was at the Apollo Theater, and after my friends and I, we walked over to Dapper Dan, and it was this Willy Wonka for me, a fabulosity of everything that wasn't being created in the stores for us. And he was doing these one-of-a-kinds that were incredible, that were speaking to my tribe, my culture, and I wanted in, you know, at that time, the world was very different. And I was very much still Brooklyn. I hadn't seen the whole world. So boroughs were everything to me. You know, you had all these pockets. I just wanted to rep for Brooklyn at that moment and create for my tribe. And so success leaves clues. And that's what happened. I reverse engineered into it from the North Star of hip hop. And I started creating things that spoke to me that I felt the music was there, but we didn't have the uniforms. And I just wanted to create what I was feeling and pour that out. With a spark of inspiration from Dapper Dan and the unwavering support of her father, April decided to leave school early. And even though she had two secure job opportunities in front of her, April instead opted to sign a lease on a small retail space for $750 a month and to start her own brand. I got called for two state jobs. I think while I was in college, I applied for one was the fire department. Another one was corrections. I got called right when I was signing the lease. And I remember my mom was so distraught because those were considered good jobs. Everybody thought I was crazy, except for my dad. I remember one time in the beginning going to the fashion industry and getting a roll of fabric. And I can remember us being on the train carrying a big roll of fabric home. So he was always like cheerleading. As April started her boutique, Fashion in Effect, she knew hip hop would be her North Star and set out to build a wardrobe for the culture. The magnet was hip hop and our little shop, Fashion in Effect, was literally a hole in the wall that we created with the homemade signs. We didn't have money for a sign, so we made our own sign. We went back to Pearl Paints and we got this foam board. It was maybe we made it about six feet. We connected it. We painted it fashion in effect with like this. I drew it, this like graffiti-ish style and colors, neon colors. And we hung it up over the glass storefront. And in the storefront, we would hang up different airbrush sweatshirts, different cool outfits that we were making. April started to buy fabrics, textiles, and machinery needed for her cut and sew operation and recruited other creatives to help bring her vision to life. We amassed a tribe of like minds. And with that, those like minds, I think when your passion is fueling you so, so much, you can figure out the rest because you can look at models that created. And while we didn't have any models there in what we were doing, we did have Dapper Dan. So I knew, okay, I have to buy Juki machines and I have to buy industrial singer machines. And then the rest was just figure it out. So there was the New York Times would have a liquidation section. That's how I got my singers and my Jukis because I couldn't afford that out the box. And then I created a, a cutting table, but that was literally like putting a big piece of wood and polishing it and stabilizing that. And that became our cutting table and just really figuring it out and making something out of nothing. That's exactly what we did. April started creating and selling one of a kind statement pieces right there in her shop. In addition to being her production facility and retail space, Fashion in Effect also became a staple hangout in Brooklyn. When you came in the store, the entryway to your right would have one wall that had a big dog on it with the hat to the back that said FIE, which stood for fashion and effect. And then he had a big clock on that said, don't believe the hype. The dog, he had gold teeth in his mouth. Like it was a whole vibe. And when you came in, we had markers and you had to tag your name on the wall. So at one point, the whole wall was tagged up around this dog. And then to your left, when you came in, was a actual 
like cool sofa that we made. And then we had these showcases that we got from liquidation and we would have beeper covers and little trinkets that you could buy. So for the people that couldn't afford something really expensive, we had low hanging fruit and spontaneous purchases in the front. But we didn't know that was the terminology then. We just knew we had to pay our rent. And so we had to figure out different ways to do that. So we were like, everyone can't afford a suit for X amount. We made fashion and effect t-shirts as well. And we sold those. And those had the dog on it. With the store on point, April expanded her team of creatives to help produce bold and beautiful pieces that would become synonymous with 90s hip hop. I had a great, amazing artist named Linda Avery. She was from Pittsburgh. She actually came up and stayed with us and started doing the acrylic painting and the airbrushing. And then we had someone who worked with us. His name was Woody and he worked with Shirt Kings as well. And he was doing a lot of airbrushing for us as well. We also borrowed a few of Dapper Dan's tailors And so we had tailors that already understood the culture and were able to make leather or denim or whatever we needed. And it was great because they were able to teach me as I was learning. I knew business and I knew how to go get the sales, but I didn't understand everything needed. Like at first my needles were breaking a lot because I had the wrong needles and machines. All these little things help having someone that was experienced to make the things that were in our heads and pour it out into the world. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. 
This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Slowly but surely, Fashion & Effect became the place to be. With a team of creatives in place, April also started recruiting assistants and other local kids to help her out and began another crucial part of her story, mentorship. I started working with April as her assistant. April has this way of kind of like getting everybody involved in every part of the business. This is Gloria Sherubin, once April's assistant and eventually one of her lead stylists and designers. She was a, a great teacher in that respect and just kind of like schooling me and just grooming me for the apparel industry and just really kind of understanding what it is to build a brand and brand management. I've always been this kind of like uh, low-key fashionista, really into just like design and fashion and just style and wardrobing. April was like a family friend, so I kind of grew up under her tutelage for years, just kind of watching her develop her business. In my, my old personal journey, I was actually in undergrad studying to go to law school. I got my degree in political science. You know, I had these dreams and aspirations of being an attorney. I just wanted, as a young black female coming out of the hood, just I wanted an industry that was going to make me a lot of money. That was really my attitude. And, you know, law was what seemed like the best thing for me because everyone was like, you talk well, you know, you argue well, you are a great liar. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I had a knack for school. School was really easy for me, reading. A lot of books on poli size, really a lot of study around history. But in my last year, unfortunately, I lost my mom in undergrad. And um, I, I'd worked through school anyway, so I was always working. April was like, hey, you know, you should come work for me. You know, you got a lot of swag and style. You know, so I like the way you put things together. This would really be a great learning experience. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I, I definitely love what she did, love just kind of being around and had the ability and access because, you know, uh, I, I kind of hung out with her little sisters and we were just all kind of friends. As Gloria found her role in the team, April empowered her and looked to Gloria's youthful perspective to lead the way on projects. Day one was her just kind of like grooming me and, and teaching me how to just kind of like understand what she needed me to do. I remember her taking me to the garment district. And at that time, you could swatch fabric. And she was just like, I want anything that stands out to you for you to grab. Now, mind you, I have no background, no formal training in anything fashion. I just know how to wear fly shit. I'm a big brand whore, you know what I'm saying? From a style sense, I felt like I had that, but I just felt it was something. There wasn't anything that I was trained I was, which is something that I was just naturally gifted with. So her identifying that she, she puts me in this stores for hours. I'm going through all this fabric, swatching all this stuff. And we finally get back to the office. She had like stacks of magazines, every WWD, every GQ, everything, anything you can think of, of just like high fashion magazines. So then she's like, I want you to go through these magazines and attach the fabric that you picked to some of the, the looks that are in the magazine, like, so I could kind of like identify what fabrics would work well with what designs. I did this for hours. But it was such a great task because it forced me to kind of see what she saw. Because from that point on, my main focus in work was always to kind of like work with her clients in like a sales capacity. She had like these great books that were filled with silhouettes and designs or options that they had. And then it was like these swatch books of just all these different fabrics. So my job would be to sit with the client and allow them to mix and match. So this task of just kind of like, you know, seeing it that she would critique it, well, why would you put this? You know, it was it was really a learning experience to groom me for that role. As Fashion In Effect continued to make a name for itself, a placement on an album cover was about to take the business to a whole nother level and open additional revenue streams. So with Fashion In Effect, it literally became this best kept secret that finally wasn't a secret, you know. We were making a lot of clothes and we were making them to the point where one day 
Audio 2 came in the store and they wanted outfits made for their next album cover and they wanted somebody from Brooklyn to make them and they asked if I could make them. And I said, sure, fingers crossed behind my back, you know, but it worked out. And that album cover was, I don't care. And it was a crashed up Benz and they had outfits and they did some, Cherokee Kings did some artwork for one of them. I did the suits and that was the start of it. And they came back and they asked, could you style our video? I had no experience in styling. But I found out what styling was. I told them I could do the video and I did a video. And from that video, I created a new revenue stream. And I said, this is gonna be another revenue stream for, for us. And I created a styling division. So from that, we started styling. However, April's rise was anything but straightforward. Breaking into any market is hard, but even more challenging as a young black woman in a male dominated industry. A lot of companies were afraid of a very young person. And at that time I was hip hop out and I was 21 and I was a woman. And being a young woman in an all male dominated industry was a lot different. And then I was Blexican. So I w didn't really look like the norm of the fashion industry or speak that language. So that was another factor, right? But I didn't, I was naive to fear and it served me well because I never thought this isn't gonna happen. It was like, it will happen. April did break through and in a big way. Soon fashion in effect became the place for up and coming rappers to get custom outfits and the who's who of New York hip hop would seek out April for their fits. I'm always looking for ways to expand my spider web or be the octopus because I understand that you know, this is a foundation, but we have to have different tentacles in order to grow. So as long as it's coming from the same base and we can handle it. And that was a natural to me because it allowed us not only to style other artists, but to become bigger with marketing using a bullhorn by artists, working with artists. And so now they became our tribe, so to speak. And they were telling two people, right? Jay-Z was, at this time, buying stuff from us and Jazz and, and then Shaggy and Shinehead. Those were two big artists from Brooklyn. And one day, Biggie came in the store. He was 15 years old and he was another one of our first customers. He saw Eric B. and Rock Kim shirt and a Houdini shirt that we airbrushed in the window and stopped. And I'd see him in the neighborhood, right? Because we lived in the same neighborhood. I'd see him hanging out, but I didn't know him. We'd just give each other a nod. But when he came in the store, he recognized me and he asked, is this your shop? And it sparked a conversation. And I found out he was into music. And, you know, we just started talking about all things hip hop and that became our intersection. He was always calm, collective, but he was witty. He was funny and he always made you feel like family. You know, he was just really cool. He was cool with everybody. He had a charisma about him that was special. He also was like, you knew like you didn't want to mess with Biggie. You know what I mean? At the same time, because of his tribe. But he never gave that off. It was just like, you just knew he was from Brooklyn and Brooklyn was different. You know what I mean? But he was a good, he was he was a really nice guy. He was super talented, super focused and confident. And when he signed to Bad Boy, he, he never forgot us, you know? These kinds of stories are important because for any aspiring entrepreneur, young person or entrepreneur that's out there, I credit a lot of my journey to relationships. And I don't mean just texting. I think you have to be courageous enough to live in your discomfort zone, to invest into people and to look at the long game. And so a lot of these artists that are mega artists right now were not then. Like Biggie didn't even have a deal, you know? He was 15, he had a dream, but I saw how gifted he was and I believed in him, you know? So I think that when you're authentic and you really believe in someone and they believe in you, as you rise, you rise together. April was really iconic in what 
I would always refer to as brand leveraging, you know, really knowing how to see what was coming up next in the hip hop industry, who the talent was and really building her product on them to build more notoriety for her brand. Whether it was Run DMC, whether it was Biggie, whether it was Pac, you know, really knowing where to be, how to be, and really kind of getting that product in those places was really her art to me. After its first year, Fashion and Effect was still in business, which was a big win for April and her team. But the margins that come with custom work are thin, and Fashion and Effect was far from being really profitable. I think that first year, like, none of us were getting paid. It was shoestring. But I, I remember the first year I found some books, and I think we made, like, maybe 80, we made 80-something thousand the first year. And that was, like, huge for me because that was back in the day. And we made a lot of mistakes that first year. So it encouraged me to do the second year. As April continued to grow fashion and effect, land placements with celebrities and style artists, she realized that the one-of-a-kind business model was very limiting. And to truly expand, she would need her own branded clothing line. I think that what we noticed was some of the artists, some of our customers would come in and ask for the things that we were making for the artists in videos. So we knew, okay, we have something because it'd be the same things. We made this rough and rugged suit. It was a heavy denim suit that we made. And we were doing a lot of experimenting at that time with velour. So we were doing a lot of buckets with denim and velour and a lot of suits with denim and velour and a lot of contrast stitching so that it would match up with the Timberland. So all of these things became like, it caught on like a fire. It just started, like people would ask for the same thing. So that became our proof of concept. And that's what led us to believe we need to do our own line and just go for it. April did decide to go for it and created her eponymous brand, Walker Wear. At the same time, another pivotal member of the Walker Wear team was about to enter the fold. I grew up in Springfield, Massachusetts, and I was able to go to New York often and dance on Broadway. This is Kimya Range, an assistant to April and eventually the head of marketing and promotion for Walkerware. I danced from three to probably 15 years old. So I really had some opportunities that I did not realize was not a normal thing growing up until, you know, I got to college, I think, and really started to meet people from all over. Then I went on to University of Massachusetts. That's where I met my friend NJ, who introduced me to the Walker family. And that's how I started connecting with April. We started going to New York for our spring breaks. And that's how uh, my connection to Walker Wear began. When we started going to New York at that time, her business was fashion and effect. I got to assist on a photo shoot she was working on. She definitely takes the time to teach you each moment, a teachable moment with her, because, you know, she could definitely, if she wanted to, eat, sleep, and drink the business. So then a couple of years later, she started to build Walker Wear. And when I had graduated from college, I had the opportunity to move to New York City and then, um, was able to support her in the Walker Wear journey. Kimya moved to New York and brought with her some experience that would be pivotal to the growth of Walker Wear. I was just coming off of a job working with Russell Stover's Candies, <laughs> and I had learned how to be organized because for me, I had not had a supervisor that lived in the same state as me. I was fortunate to get a car with this job. So that was pretty much my office where my file cabinets was in the trunk of the car. So my organization in that sales realm was very key. And then being able to take over if necessary, like when April wasn't available to be in a place, especially like with some styling job opportunities there, I was able to step in. Also, even with buyers, have that conversation. With Walkerware, April's goal was to spread the brand beyond the confines of her brick and mortar store. 
So Kimya began to oversee marketing and took a page from the music industry playbook. That was the whole goal is, you know, promotions, sales, all the connections for the marketing of the brand. It pretty much consisted of marketing this clothing line like it was a record <laughs> label, I remember. So we just pretty much was taken to the streets, you know, like the street teams. It was a bunch of dedicated young people, pretty much interns that would get out there at the different events and pretty much flood the areas with all the different promotions that were going on. We would get behind the Bad Boy Street team. They'd be on the big megaphone shouting out Bad Boy. And I would just tap them on the shoulder and ask them to shout out Walk Aware as well. So just again, taking advantage of opportunity with the relationships that we were building out there. Kimya was excellent. She was on that same page. She was great at marketing and sales. She was a people's person. She built up relationships. She was really good. I could pass the ball to her. And then she would cultivate those relationships because at one point I just got really busy as we were circling up. So were my responsibilities. So that's where Kimya came into play with the marketing, the PR, and really dealing with people. With Kimya on the ground handling marketing NYC, other opportunities across the country started to pop up, like a job for a certain West Coast MC that would put Gloria through a whirlwind of a weekend. All I remember is April Caller being like, yo, there's a jet leaving in like two hours. We need everybody at the house, you know, with a bag. Cause we got to fly to LA and do this video shoot. And it was like, it, there was no questions. You just was like, okay, you know, it, 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 it becomes that common space where it's not just like limited to just being in New York. You know what I'm saying? There's a video shoot. We, you know, got tasked for the styling job. I can't remember what song it was, but it was a song with Pac, KC, and JoJo. We got to squeeze into a limousine with Suge Knight and Pac. And it's me, Jackie, April, you know what I'm saying? And this guy's a big guy. And they looking at me like, you the youngest, you got to sit. And Shook's foot is on my lap the whole ride, you know, from Clinton Hills to some private runway in Jersey. And I'm sitting there like a punk. It, it doesn't pay being the, the newbie in this situation, you know what I'm saying? But this is the work, you know? All right, so we touched ground, got to Malibu. They set us up for the night. Next day, spent the whole day shopping to shoot a video on the beach. It was like 72 hours from hell, you know what I'm saying? To just like, Getting it in, doing the work, blah, blah, and then on a plane back to New York. Like, this is what needed to be done. This is what we had to do. And it was no questions asked. So those 11th hour industry calls was like normal stuff that just happened because that's how the industry ran, you know? With cosigns from artists like Tupac and Biggie, Walkerware had become a premier brand in hip hop. And soon it would become one of the most desired streetwear brands for celebrities all over the world. There's so many different people, even, you know, with Aaliyah, we worked with her doing her first video and her photo shoot, being able to place some Walkerware products on her. And then Gary Payton, we did a whole shoot with him with the Supersonics. I remember making some pants for uh, Shaq for All Star. Mike Tyson, he wore our stuff in the rain. That was probably one of our biggest collabs. I became the first American designer besides sports, like they were doing Everlast. But as a designer, I was the first to hit the heavyweight ring. So that was really a big moment in Walkerware's career. He's, he was famous for wearing his towel out, but he wore a towel with the XXL on it and the shorts and the sneakers. So it was huge, you know? It was just amazing. I think for me, seeing Bad Boy when they had their first advertisement in Billboard and it was in the McDonald's setup and it was Craig Mack had on the Walkerware hockey jersey and it was Puffy and Biggie in that ad. That was amazing because that was one of my first placements for Walkerware. So it's like, you don't know where it'll end up, but when it does, it's like, wow. But it's the relationship because they had to pick it up and say, this is what I'm aware. 
Though it seemed like Walker Ware was being warned by every celebrity, behind the scenes, the finances remained a struggle. This battle between creating for fun and creating for profits was taking a toll on April. The 90s, the golden era was so magnetic. It was so electric and it was magical. And then at the same time, I started when I was 21 and it literally was like 18 hour days. I want to say six days a week, but it might have been even seven sometimes. And then we started growing. Our growth accelerated fast and there were a few almost deals, you know, where I did licensing and it fell through or it didn't happen. So I was independent. I've been independent my whole life. But you can imagine financially, it was a huge burden and blessing. And then I had amassed a staff. So I had a lot. So starting from a creative lens to becoming management and leadership and not being able to do as much creative as you want, because now you're running a whole corporation, making all these decisions, learning about licensing, learning about production, learning about marketing, learning all these different things. I was at the helm of that universe. And then I was watching the actual industry unfold. And if I'm honest, it became something I didn't like over time. It just really became about the money. The downfall might have been not having as much money as you'd like to have, but eventually the money came. But I think that was probably the downfall. We were so young. I just think we were just, for me, not being from New York, being able to be in that element. Urban fashion became oversaturated. Buyers became groupies. Artists wanted in. I have no problems with music artists becoming their own brands and wanting to monetize every aspect of their business. But if you're gonna do that, you have to take it serious and create the teams around it that understand those industries. So you can be taken serious. And at that time, I'll say that some of that was not happening. A lot of that was not happening. And so as a result, it was hurting the industry because it truly became a numbers game. Fashion designers that really had awesome designs were being overlooked. It was so lights, camera, action that there was little substance. But hype without substance is not sustainable. And I saw the beginning of the incoming and that along with becoming burnt out over time. By the time 99 hit, people felt like I was at the top of my game because it looked like that from the outside, but I was miserable. I felt the weight of the world on my shoulder. I had a New York office, a New York showroom, uh, Vegas, uh, had a LA. It was just a lot going on. And I, um, I was tired. I was really tired. I was almost afraid to walk away because April Walker was so ingrained at that point with walk aware, like synonymous. And I was like, what would I do after? but that's why I had to walk away. I needed to breathe and I needed to know that's just what I did and that I could be good without it because I wasn't really happy at that point. I was definitely to the world in perception winning, but winning has a different meaning for me. I'm real clear on that now. And at that time it was becoming great. And I, I wanted to really have clarity. So I made the decision at the height of the brand to like, just take pause, pause. Let's just pause and really like breathe. I knew I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't doing the things I was supposed to. It was a lot. I given all of this time and energy to the love of my business, but I was out of sync with the alignment of myself, my mind, my body, and my soul. So I chose that. With Walkerware on hold, April found opportunities working with other brands. But more importantly, she finally put her own health and wellness, both physical and mental, first. I paused Walkerware and put it on the shelf and then did some things I always wanted to try. So by this time, I knew licensing really well. I did a bunch of stuff. And, and then in the, in the interim of all of that stuff, I got a lot of rest. I think 99 to 2000, I was the vice president at Fat Farm with Russell Simmons and really was overseeing all of his licenses. So me navigating through all of these different 
licensees and contracts and magic. It was just a whole different lens that helped me grow. And then from there, I went to AM1 and I developed a women's line for AM1. From there, I did some costume wardrobing and I did some merchandising with Erica Badu. And these were projects that I did in between finding myself and having conversations with God and just taking breaks and really getting into nature and really embracing my spirituality and really figuring out why I got to the point of burnout, why I had to walk away. I feel like I really had really grown spiritually and and got to a good place of really nourishing my mind, my body, my soul. And it was great. So I started consulting. And that's literally how a Walker group started. So really cool projects, all very different. But one thing I realized with consulting is you can consult and they can pay you. But when clients don't take your advice, it's very frustrating. And you see them hitting the wall and you're like, oh, if I only had my own brand. And I realized I do. And that is what inspired me to start Walk Aware again. That with the fact that we're in the digital era and I could really manage my stress. I could really create the life I wanted to. I could really do all the things. I could sell one piece or a thousand pieces at a time. It's just how fast I want to put my foot on the gas pedal because you can really write your own ticket and story with the internet now. Direct to consumer has changed the game for all creators. And that's literally how I looked at it. Once I saw what social media and the internet could do, I said, I want to start creating again. And that's how it started. So I think in 2011, I started privately, started doing product development. And by, I think, 2012, 2013, that's when I started really showing it again. It was a big learning curve, like, because I didn't beat my chest until about maybe 2015 and 16. We were selling, we were doing pop-ups, we were doing different things organically. And I had to go through about three different web developers because, you know, it was new. It was new for me and it was still newer than it is now. I didn't even know about Shopify things like that, which is in, ended up being our, you know, server for where we do our business. At that time, I just wanted to automate everything that I could because coming back, I wanted to be lean and mean and walk away was not going to be the only thing that I did. It was very inspiring to be able to create again. When I got on social media, there were people from all over the world that were hitting us like, hey, thank you for your contributions, yada, yada and really just really gracious and accolades and remembering me. And then I realized how cool the tool could be if I learned it. So part of me creating was one thing, but also challenging myself to step into social media, into technology and embrace it as part of business was another to learn it because I had the experience, but if I could grab the technology and marry that I feel like I had an advantage because I have a real story with a lot of history. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Hi there. I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. 
I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. Is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie-loving friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Social media had changed the fashion industry. In order to catch up, April did what she's always done, surrounded herself with young creatives who would act as reverse mentors. The fashion industry when I started, it wasn't an industry when I started. Now there are so many different players, so that part was different. And there are way more distractions. That's different. Where you were networking a lot more, I was a lot younger, so I was right that trial. Like, I knew it inside out. It's different now. You know, I have to do way more work to know it. And I really believe in reverse mentorship because I think that we all can grow from each other, generations-wise. So. I keep young people around me because they keep me informed and I get to know how their minds are thinking. I knew April before high school. April was, you know, April, I always call her the, the mayor of Brooklyn. This is Miles Hopkins, an assistant for April at the revived Walker Wear. And she doesn't agree, but I always find it funny. It's like a little joke between us. April knows everybody and April and my mom actually go back since they were kids. They kind of grew up in the same neighborhood. I didn't really know about the Walker Wear side of things until I got older. Because, you know, as a kid, it was just somebody that I know through my mom. Walker Wear was just one of those things that when I did finally like get to know, I was just very shocked by how many people wore it. Um, April's one of those people that's like extremely humble, but people will run up to her on the streets and just, you know, tell her like how much she means to the community of fashion and just like to the world, like her imprint, not only on fashion, but just on the world is, is amazing. And the fact that people just recognize it years later, April believes in reverse mentorship. And like, that's kind of the way that Walker Wear has been successful over all those years because April really listens to her customers and the people around her. Soon Miles was setting up photo shoots for April, and by bringing in young creatives to guide her, Walker Wear continues to be ahead of the curve. 
I got a chance to more so like curate a lot of our photo shoots with some of our younger talent. Like I worked with guys like Nico Brim, Jordan Beckford, uh, CJ Wallace, and Josh Russo. I also want to say for you guys, like, please keep those guys like on the map for you. They're very interesting young gentlemen and, and they're on the rise. Not only did I just do the, the photo shoots and like kind of curate them and, and see to it that they would get done. I did a lot of Instagram outreach to some of our other like younger followers. And we just tried to find people that aligned a little bit more with our brand. It's so surreal to just see how much like people really genuinely like gravitate towards the brand once they meet the owner. You know, April is like one of the most authentic people on the planet. So no matter who you are, she, you know, she always gives you love. As April continues to mentor, and reverse mentor, she's always ready to offer advice to the younger generation of entrepreneurs. I would tell my younger self as an entrepreneur, study your money and understand that this is a business because most of us are creative. We cannot take the attitude of it's creative and we'll get to the business later. Oh, I'll just hire people for that. No, understand that this is a business. Study your money. Don't be the smartest person in the room. You want to surround yourself by people that are smarter than you and will make you stand on your tippy toes so that you can continue to grow, to elevate, to empower each other and to lift up your tribe at the same time. As April looks to the future, the mission remains the same. Teach, learn, and empower the next generation of creatives. Walkaway is a legacy brand. I want to continue that creating we have some really cool collaborations set up. Next year is 50 years in hip hop. So I'm going to be doing a collaboration with Universal Hip Hop Museum and some other cool collabs I can't really talk about yet, but you'll see those. I'm starting a digital academy. Really excited about that because it's for makers, entrepreneurs, creators, and it's really hands-on experience. So just really the thing that I'm passionate about is impacting as many people as I can with the experience I have while I'm visiting this earth, you know? And so that's my trajectory work moving forward. Walkerware's story is one of true entrepreneurship, creativity, and dedication to the culture. When April wanted a space to celebrate the hip hop world she loved, she went out and got her own store. When she desired new designs, she created her own line. Along the way, April assembled a team of all-stars in Gloria and Kimya, and continues her mentorship today by helping young creatives like Miles. And through it all, the North Star has always remained hip hop, creating a space for her tribe to be seen, heard, and worn. For Idea Generation, I'm Noah Callahan-Bever. Thanks for listening to the All Angles Podcast, presented by Will Packer Media. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to like, comment, DM, or tell a friend to tell a friend about Idea Generation and the All Angles Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Will Packer. Executive produced by John Volacek and Helena Ox. Original music by Valentin Fritz. Edit and sound mix by Nonsensible Production. And hosted by me, Idea Generation founder, Noah Callahan-Bever. Idea Generation's All Angles is a Will Packer Media podcast. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen wolf And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, 
I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.